my soul in sad exile. Mm. I think it, Buck, where, where is Buck Buchanan in here somewhere? Did I see him walking? There he is. I was thinking a while ago, Buck, can you imagine the angel of the Lord coming by saying, I'm looking for a singer. And, uh, and uh, he parades all those in front. And, and the angel said, no, that, that's not him. Have you got anybody else, Buck? He said, well, I got one young son out there in the barn. And uh, we'll bring him by. And the angel said, that's the one I want to sing right there. Man, have mercy. Mm. Mm. Don't ever give up, man. Don't ever give up. Somebody got lost a phone, found it in the parking lot. Uh, if you are one of those, do that. A couple of things I need to do, first of all. Uh, did Nathan slip back out? Okay, we'll give him another minute. Is, y'all, y'all see him up there? He, I think he's upstairs now. Uh, Jonah and Brittany are back with us from Alaska. You'll pray for them. And... Uh, they're seeking the Lord's leadership and what, they, what God wants them to do, so you pray for them. Uh, and uh, I did talk with Paula Reeves on the way over here. She did have a heart attack, and so uh, they are doing further tests, heart cath and all that tomorrow, so remember to pray for Paula. And then uh, uh, most of you probably remember and know uh, a dear friend of ours in this church, Brother Herman Kramer. Today is Judell's birthday, and... Uh, just pray for Brother Herman. Uh, I, I don't know what it's like, but uh, I, I know it's probably something you never get over. Uh, but pray for him. He's still busy for the Lord, and, and uh, we just need to pray for him and encourage him. Uh, did anybody find Nathan yet? All right, well, I'll, I'll see him in a minute. Is he in the foyer? Nathan, come down here. Just, just stick your head in. This is Nathan Matthias. He's a new intern with us now, and his lovely wife, Stephanie, is sitting right up here on the, on the back row there, and he wants to learn some things from the church staff. <laughs> I'd love to have a hundred little Charleses running around here. <laughs> I tell you, our, our church staff, they've got everything down except one thing. We're going to have to have, it's probably going to take a two-week course out in the woods somewhere on some old tree stumps to get these guys to learn how to really shout and just praise the Lord. Uh, but, you know, I, I, we probably need to do that. But we're grateful to have Nathan and Stephanie with us. And uh, God's called uh, them, his hands on them. And I don't know how long they'll be here, but however long they are, they're going to be a blessing to us. And we want to be a blessing to them also. Thank you, Nathan and, and Stephanie. Amen. Well, if you would turn to John, chapter 1, the book of John. We're going to be in John for a while. Uh, I have taken my sermons and cut them like bologna right half in two uh, because these are little abbreviated services here. I get a little extra time here because nobody's hungry at 12 anymore. We all don't eat before 1 anyway. So we've got plenty of time here, but I'm trying to stay within. And I want to tell you, nobody said good job or anything this morning, but I quit preaching at 9 o'clock. There was 15 minutes, you know, left on the clock. Uh, So I just want you to know I can do it if I have to do it. I just don't like to do it. (laughs) 
I'm going to make up for it right here. Amen. Amen. It's so good to see you here. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient Word. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Lord, have mercy on our souls this morning. God, would you shine brightly in this place. Lord, we want to see you high and lifted up. We we know you're here. God, we know you're indwelt in us. We, We know all of that. But, oh, God, we want to see your manifested presence in this place today. We want to know that we've been in the house of God, that we've seen you and felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place today. Move among us. It's not what we want. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. It is what you want. And we don't want to stand in your way. Help us not to quench the spirit that's moving in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we come to the end of the Old Testament, the last prophet to speak was Malachi. Uh, We've gone through 12 minor prophets at that time. And that's the last voice we heard from God in the Old Testament. It's called the intertestamental years. There's 400 years when God is silent. He doesn't speak a word. He doesn't prophesy. He doesn't communicate. Imagine, 400 years, not a word. Four major prophets, 12 minor prophets, now nothing. They were used to hearing from God. Even when they were in sin, they heard from God. Even when they were in rebellion, they heard from God. Even when the heathens was running the country, they heard from God. But now for 400 years, nothing. Nothing. It had to be one of the darkest, most dreary positions mankind has ever been in. I read about a professor of psychology in a certain university And he gave his students a a word test. He said, write down this word, Christmas. And they wrote down the word Christmas. He said, all right, now write down the first word that comes to your mind when you look at that word Christmas. Words like tree, holly, mistletoe, presents, turkey, holiday, carol, Santa Claus. Not a one of those 40 students wrote down Jesus. Not a one. Now, folks, if this pandemic has taught us anything, It ought to have taught us that we need to go back and make sure our foundation is firm. We need to go back and make sure that we're not not building on shifting sand, but we're building on the solid rock. And that rock is Jesus. It always has been, it is now, and it always will be. John 20, 31, we won't turn there, but that's the purpose of the whole gospel. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is as Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Bible faith, Bible salvation, saving faith begins with your mind, but it takes more than intellectual conviction. It begins with intellectual conviction, 
But that's not enough. You can be intellectually convicted. You can know there's a Jesus. You can know all about Jesus. And you can still be lost. The demons in hell, if you were to ask them, they know all about Jesus. They know he's real. But they're lost. You see, the intellectual conviction has to cross over to a personal conviction and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to believe with your mind that Jesus is Lord. You've got to, by faith, accept him as King of kings and Lord of lords in your life. And when that happens, salvation comes. Now, we've got five books that John wrote. We're going to be in the book of John probably until Jesus comes. I'm looking for him to come soon. But if he doesn't, I'll give him a year and a half or so before we're out of John anyway. Uh, but, I, you know, he could come. Five books he wrote John here, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then, of course, Revelation. Somebody says, why do we need four Gospels? Why in the world? Because John, John's Gospel was written about A.D. 85, maybe A.D. 90, somewhere in there, after all the other Gospels were written. Matthew's Gospel uh, says, Behold your king. It was speaking to the Jews. Mark's gospel says, Behold your prophet. It was speaking to the Romans. Luke's gospel says, Behold your priest. It was speaking to the Greeks. But when you come to the gospel of John, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He's speaking to us in this gospel right here. And it's like a special gospel to the church that he's taken everything out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now he's put them in John. He has uh, surfaced it for the church so the church can understand what's going on. He becomes humanity in the Gospel of John. You say, well, why is it important that he become humanity? Why couldn't he just be God? Well, there's several reasons. First of all, it makes it possible for the Lord to die. If he's not human, he can't die. We needed a human sacrifice. He's the perfect Lamb of God, and yet He's the man also of God. Hebrews 10, 4 says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, I come to do thy will, O God. You see, he died for us. He had to be a man to die for us. Otherwise, our salvation wouldn't be secure. Not only that, it enables the Lord to understand what men go through. Anybody here weary this morning? My soul, the fighting of the weariness in my life, the disappointment, misunderstanding, rejection, false accusations, sorrow, pain, betrayal. But I thank God in Hebrews 4, he said, we've not a high, we've got, have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. There's not a thing you're going through, not a thing you're feeling in your life that our Lord hasn't already felt. He's already gone through it there. It also qualifies the Lord to be a mediator between man and God. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus then he also provides a, an example for us on how we ought to live a life that is pleasing to God. Let me tell you, folks, if you want to please God, you're not going to please this world. You're not going to please this world if you want to please God. Jesus shows us how we ought to be living a life that honors and pleases God Almighty. And then lastly, it gives us hope and value to our life. It's interesting to note in our world today, where Christ is rejected, 
you see, you know, I, I, I don't want to turn this thing political, but there's just some things you just need to see common sense to tell you. When you see these cities where Christ has been rejected and the government's thrown Jesus out and there's no Ten Commandments, you find places where life is considered cheap and men's hearts tend to be cold and hard and unfeeling. Matthew said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We don't need to let that happen in East Texas. We need to make sure that our Lord is proclaimed in East Texas. That's our task as a church, to reach out. The Gospel of John ties the humanity of Christ with his deity. Now let's get into the sermon. All that was prelude. Jesus is God connection number one. I'm just going to do it one, two, three, just right here like the Scripture. In the beginning was the Word. Does that sound familiar? Just like Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the Hebrew word translated God here is in a plural form. It literally reads, in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. You say, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's only one God, preacher. You're preaching a heresy. No, we're talking about the Trinity. We're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When we get on later on in John, and there'll be other instances too, and I know somebody's going to say, Whoa, wait a minute, I looked up that word Trinity. I'm a Bible scholar. The, tr the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Neither is the word rapture, but I want to tell you what, I'm getting ready to leave this place. Amen. You call it a going away, or you call it a lifting up, or you call it whatever you want to. Trinity may not be a word in there, but there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The day Jesus was baptized, God the Father spoke out of heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The God Jesus was baptized in the waters of the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. That's a picture of the Trinity. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, there's never been a time when Jesus was not. Jesus didn't have a beginning. Jesus doesn't have an end. Most assuredly, in John 8, 58, he said, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He, he, back to John 1. He said, was the Word, was with God, was God, was in the beginning with God. He uses the imperfect tense every time he uses that. Now, when you use the imperfect tense in the Greek language, it's not referring to something that's past or something that's present, or something that's future. You say, well, good grief. If it's not past, if it's not present, if it's not future, then what would it refer to? The imperfect tense in the Greek refers to continuous. It's never changed. God is. The Word is. It doesn't change. It doesn't fluctuate. None whatsoever. That's why uh, in John 17, 5, Jesus said, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Mm. Colossians, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And then, of course, you want to look down at verse 14, popular verse in John 1. The Word was made flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Wow. In the beginning was a word. What are words? They're, they're communications. They're connections. They're thoughts. We transfer our mind 
to somebody else by the words. Now, I do know the older we get together, and I imagine Brother Tommy can say this too after 50 years, that he can probably talk with his eyes and never even use his mouth. She probably can read what he's thinking before he ever says it out of his mouth. But we use words to communicate. And Jesus said here, that's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Someone has written these words down to the artist. The Lord Jesus is the one altogether lovely. To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he is the life. To the builder, he is the sure foundation. To the carpenter, he's the door. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he's the great teacher. To the engineer, he's the new and living way. To the farmer, he's the sower and the lord of the harvest. To the florist, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he's the true vine. To the judge, he's the righteous. To the uh, juror, he's the faithful and true witness. To the jeweler, he's the pearl of great price. To the lawyer, he is counselor. To the newspaper man, he's the good news of great joy. To the philosopher, he's the wisdom of God. To the preacher, he's the word of God. To the sculpture, he's a living stone. To the statesman, he's the desire of all nations. To the student, he's the incarnate truth. To the theologian, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. To the laborer, he's the giver of rest. But to the sinner, he's a lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. That's who he is to us. We have an opportunity to be saved today because of Jesus. He is the connection. That's why we can sing, Hallelujah, I found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his life. I now am saved. Oh, listen, I find people today, God love them, trying to find their self. Oh, if I could just find myself. Can you help me find myself? And they're thinking, if I try this new job, it'll help. If I get this new hairdo, it'll help. If I move somewhere, buy another house, if I try another drug, if I drink another brand, if I date another person, not realizing. They're they're trying to find themselves in all of the things and not realizing that before the foundation of the earth, Christ has a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for you that nobody else can fulfill except you. He's got a blueprint for you. I don't want to finish every week saying, well, I got up Sunday and I made it through uh, the week. I I don't want to come home every night saying, well, I left in the morning in one piece and I came back in one piece. Man, I I, I don't want to just say I was a dad, I was a husband, I was a pastor. I want to get up every day and assured that God has a plan for me, that God has a purpose for me living here on the face of this earth. I believe everybody's worried about me preaching three times. I'm one of those that believe when my days are up, God's going to call me home, and I'm going to enjoy preaching until then. But I did tell Brother Herman, if I do drop dead here in the middle of this, he's preaching my sermon on Shamgar. He did what he could, amen? 
Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I want to tell you one thing. You want to know why you're here? You need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ and not all the things of this world. Because Jesus is our connection. He's the God connection. But he's not only the God connection. Right here in the scripture we see in verse 3. He is also the God creator. The Bible says all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He supplies. Well, what does he supply? Everything you need. He supplies everything you need. If he don't supply it, you don't need it. Hmm. Now, we get mixed up sometimes with our wants and our, our needs. But he gives us everything we need. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. That word consist there means it's set in place. It's cohesive. Years and years, scientists have been trying to figure out what holds an atom together. It ain't a what. It's a who. It's Jesus. I mean, you know, we could, help, we could save our government millions of dollars on spotted owls. And, well, I better get I'm, I'm, I'm already in trouble. I just would just say Jesus is the one that's holding all this stuff together. As a creator, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that word means to create out of nothing. Our scientists will say, oh, we created a spaceship that went to the moon. You didn't create no spaceship. You used materials that God already put here. When God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't use anything. There was nothing. Well, we're going to make babies out of test tubes. No, you're not. God created man. You don't create man. You're using what God has already used. What a Savior we have to scoop out the seas and put the mountains in place. <laughs> it was Jesus that flung the stars in the sky, the flowers in the fields. My soul, the beautiful, I know you're sneezing your head off, but the beautiful yellow flowers, aren't they beautiful? You know, we, we need to start something yellow down here. They got the blue bonnets down up in the hill country. We need to do something yellow down here to attract people there. And what he's saying here, as a connection he speaks, as a creator he supplies. In speaking, God is saying that he loves us. In creating, God is saying he meets every need we've got. He's a connection. He's a creator. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then, he's the God of the light. Bible says in verse 4, we've gone 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Wow. You see, as the life giver, Jesus brings life. Now, if you're here this morning... And you're like a lot of folk, and I pray you're not. You're just holding on. You're just clawing, saying, preacher, it's getting harder and harder. It, listen, that's not the will of God. Don't tell me Jesus died on a cross, left heaven in all of his splendor, died on a cross so you could get by. And incidentally, that same thing goes for churches too. Don't tell me that these churches, I, I talked with two pastors last night, late into the night. You know, they're, they're, 
they're down. Their churches, they're not going to make it. It looks bad. You know, it, it looks bad. Listen, Jesus didn't die on a cross for things to look bad. As a child of God, he said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I mean abundant life. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. As a life giver, Jesus brings life. But as the light giver, Jesus brings hope. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Wow. Jesus in John 8, 12 said, he spoke saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Mm. By the way, back in John 1, 5, where John says the darkness did not comprehend it, that literally means the darkness didn't pounce on it. They didn't apprehend it. Uh, they didn't go after it. You say, well, preacher, now let, let, me, just, let me just stop here just a minute. Because I learned something new this week. You think, man, a guy get to be my age, preaching 49 years, you think, Brother Allen, you've kind of understood everything. I do not know how many times I have quoted Isaiah 53, 3. He was rejected. He was rejected. Amen. Have y'all quoted that scripture before? See, that's not what that scripture says. It doesn't say he was rejected. It says he is rejected. See, he not only was rejected then, he'd been rejected right here in this place this morning. You've got an opportunity to come to Christ, but many of you will reject him and turn away and not come to Jesus. Now, let me tell you something about light. The darkness, no matter what it tries to do, will never put out the light. You say, well, preacher, my light is just... You know, you know, you, you got to worry about folks who think they are the light. I mean, you've seen some of those. I'm somebody. Man, this church couldn't operate if I wasn't here. Man, you, you know, I'm going to be in on this. This is me. You know, I, I, you, yeah, you are blown 40-watt light above what you are. You have no light on your own whatsoever. The only light you have is the light that Jesus shines down to you. We are to reflect that light. If we don't reflect that, now the best way I can tell you about it is the moon. You go out to the moon when it's full. I don't know when there's going to be, a, when it's a full moon, I try to stay in the house best I can, but because uh, things happen when it's a full moon. I can tell you that right now. But the moon is so, you say, it's got to have a light. Look at that moon, man, it's gigantic. But there's not a light. That moon is nothing but a piece of rock. We done been up there and got pictures of it. It's just rock. Well, how does it light up? It reflects the light of the sun. If the sun didn't light up, the moon wouldn't light up. Listen to me. If Jesus is not reflecting in your life, it's not because he's not lighting up. It's because you've not lighted up. You've got to reflect him. And when you get to the point where you think you are the light, you're in big trouble. Because without him, we can do nothing. Nothing. Same thing, just, just a matter for the church here, just to kind of throw us in here. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'll build my church, 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. My heart and my burden is more now than ever before for lost people. I'm thankful you're here today. Many of you are here today and you're saved. And you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. There's some of you here can't say that. And you need to come during this invitation time. And you need to accept Christ as your personal Savior. You don't need to reject Him. But most of you in this building here, you're saved. Now I'm just telling you, forget the spiritual stuff. How come every one of us in this building couldn't commit to telling one person about Jesus in the next 90 days? Just one. Just one. Just one. You say, they're going to scoff and they're going to make light of me. Some of them are. Some of them will. But I want to tell you right now, the ones I've just talked to recently, they're about scared half out of their wits with this coronavirus. They're lonely. They're hurting. They're scared. They don't know who to believe. And they ask me, who, who are you going to believe? <laughs> well, I've I got a book I believe in. That's who I believe. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It may be doom and gloom. It may be glory. Hallelujah. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. I know the one who created tomorrow. And I know the one who connects me to the Father. And I know he'll watch over me. In the 50s. It's hard to believe. That's 70 years ago. <laughs> In the 50s, Walt Disney called his good friend Art Linkletter. You remember Art? Kids can say the, you know, craziest things, whatever. And he took Art Linkletter out to a swamp there in Florida. And he told Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter was very wealthy. And uh, Disney said, I'm fixing to build an amusement park here. In fact, one of his favorite sayings, I say it all the time to myself in church. If you don't see it, before you see it, you'll never see it. And Walt Disney went out there and he told Art Linkletter, I'm going to build this great amusement park, one like nobody's ever seen before. There's going to be fantasy land. There's going to be toy land. There's going to be, it's going, we're going to call it Disneyland. It's good, isn't it, Hattie? It's good. I mean, it's some. But Walt Disney said, Art, I don't have enough money to buy the land around it. I've got all my money tied up in this amusement park. This land is going to be a gold mine. There are going to be hotels. There are going to be motels. There are going to be restaurants. There are going to be stores. There are going to be all kinds of things. And if you've ever been to Disney World, you know 10 miles before you ever get there is just one thing right after the other. And Art Linkletter said, I, I don't know. I'll think about it. And Disney said, it'll be too late. You either jump on it now or you're going to lose it. He said, well, I'll think about it. And he lost it. And Art Linkletter later in one of his biographies said this. He counted it up. He said, for every step I took away from Walt Disney back to my car, he said, I figured it cost me $1 million for every step I took. You say, wow, what, a, what an idiot to refuse a deal like that. No, 
Refusing Christ is far greater a problem than refusing a financial deal. I want to just cut straight. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're sure that he's your Savior and Lord, I'm telling you in the world that we're living in, uh, you know, I think Ronnie Jones thinks he's coming tonight before dark. I mean, he could come any time. Any time. Everything's set. The table's set and ready. And I'm saying, I'll be honest with you, I'm weary. I'm saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Just come on. I know there's a lot of lost people that need to be saved, but Lord, I'm just ready for you to come. But I'd love for every person in this auditorium to know for sure, to be certain, that if the Lord came this afternoon, before I wake up from my nap, that I'll see every one of you at the gates right there to heaven. You've got the opportunity. The ball's in your court. It's in your court. Are you going to do like they did in Isaiah and reject him? Or are you going to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. Save me. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed. Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, I wish I could have preached this better. God, I feel so unworthy and incapable to get this point across. Lord, without Christ, there's no hope. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those that are in this place, you'll make yourself known to them. You'll speak to them right now. And they'll come. They'll be saved today. Maybe there's some that need to move their church letter and, and, and be a part of this church.